think one of the lessons we can take away from the events we saw this year, it's actually something we learned a little bit during Hurricane Ian back in 2022, and that's the effectiveness of building codes when it comes to mitigation. Welcome back to Core Conversations, a Core Logic podcast, where we tour the property market to investigate how economics, climate change, governmental policies, and technology affect everyday life. I am your host, May Claire Bolton Smith, and I'm just as curious as you are about everything that happens in our industry. Whether you like it or not, weather is something that affects us all, and not just the kind of weather that comes up in daily small talk, like an unexpected rainstorm or the occasional uncomfortable warm day. We're talking about major natural disasters like hurricanes, severe convective storms, and wildfires. So how does this kind of weather affect insurers, the property market, and really anyone who is subjected to the whims of Mother Nature? So as we start off into a new year and spring is just around the corner, we've invited CoreLogic's Director of Catastrophe Response, John Schneer, to talk about what happened with natural catastrophes in 2023 and what may be brewing for this spring season. So John, welcome back to Core Conversations. Thank you uh, so much for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, we always love having you here, John. So let's just kick it off. And we're now a couple of months into the new year and spring is upon us, which also means that severe storm season is upon us as well. So before we talk too much about like what the future holds, let's take a look back at what happened in 2023, because I know that the big story for 2023 was hail. So let's talk about what happened. Why did it happen? Let's just kind of break it down a little bit. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, so like you said, 2023 was really dominated by, like you said, severe thunderstorms or severe convective storms. Yeah. Um, hail was obviously the big one, but we can't rule out uh, straight line winds. Tornadoes also did a okay. ton of damage uh, across the country. This wasn't you know, your typical uh, tornado alley or hail alley in the plains um, or in parts of the southeast. It was a almost a countrywide uh, phenomenon. Wow. wow. Um, and to the point where hail wind, tornado damage, uh, if you summed up all those losses, those insured losses over the year, it's rivaling that of a major hurricane, a single major hurricane, like a hurricane wow. kind of event in the 50, wow. $60 billion. And that's something that we haven't actually seen to date. That's uh, it's a brand new record. Wow. Um, and there's, there's a couple of factors. Uh, first and foremost, it was a incredibly active hail season. Mm-hmm. Um, more so than, um, you know, in the historical record, um, you know, through the end of October, there were 144 days with large hail by large hail. I mean, hail greater than two inches. That's large enough okay. to do significant damage to, you know, your roof, either enough where you're gonna have to replace entirely or do some pretty major repairs. Okay. Okay. Um, so 144 days. And if you look back at the 20 year average, uh, going back to like 2002, 118 days. So Okay. Much more so active this Significantly year. more active. Way more active. Um, so active is obviously bad, right? If there's more hail, there's better chance for damage. But generally speaking, hail is going to fall in areas where there's no property. But we had that intersection of a lot of hail and a lot of property getting hit. And major cities um, you know, like you know the Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin area in Texas uh, were hit particularly bad. Yeah. Uh, causing yeah. quite a bit of damage. Before we get too far into this conversation, I wanted to remind our listeners that we want to help you keep pace with the property market. To make it easy, we curate the latest insight and analysis for you on all of our social media where you can find us using the handle at CoreLogic on Facebook and LinkedIn or at CoreLogic Inc. on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram. But now let's get back to May Claire and John. 
Okay, so there's there's a couple of things there. So first of all, you said anything you know greater two inches doesn't look that big, but when you're talking about pellets of ice flying at you, I, it can cause quite a lot of damage. So I know yeah. that it really was a big a big year for that. Um, so one thing I did want to clarify a little bit because you sort of got into this is that the increased frequency versus increased severity. So there were more bigger hailstorms, but there also were like just more hailstorms in general, bigger hail falling in those hailstorms and hail falling in regions that are actually populated versus just in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. And actually, to your point there, um, hitting more populated centers, a lot of the research we've done here at CoreLogic is sort of, you know, the change in where people are moving to and building homes. And that's another Mm. one of these issues where people are moving to areas like Texas in the Southeast, uh, warmer climates, more space, cheaper cost of living relative to, you know, New York City or um, LA or any of the big cities, uh, you know, people had to live there because they had to go into the office. But in this sort yeah. of work from home world we live in, people can move elsewhere and so it makes it easier. So these areas that were hit pretty hard with hail this year are areas where people are building homes, bigger homes, more expensive yeah. homes. And on top of that, the cost to repair any of this damage is going up. Those inflationary pressures on uh, materials and labor. Mm-hmm. Are really driving up individual claims. What might have been, you know, uh, a five six thousand dollar roof repair uh, mm-hmm. ten years ago could be twice mm-hmm. that now. So sure, you know, yeah. that is really going to inflate those insured losses um, in the end. Yeah, and that really just follows up on how we started this season. We we talked with our chief economist about pandemic migration and how people were moving mm-hmm. out of these bigger coastal cities into these, you know, more into the the Midwest and Plains regions and building these, you know, very large homes. So it's exactly. it's all related and and it's, we touched too. Yeah. It's really it's that intersection of hazard and property. That's kind That's of exactly. what we always look at. That's exactly what it is now that there's more yeah. property, more exposure these areas that have always been hit by hail, but there hasn't been much there before. Well, now there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, what if we look outside of the U.S. and, you know, even outside of weather from a natural catastrophe losses events from the past, from the year 2023, you know, what kind of dominated the headlines? Like we didn't see any major hurricanes this year, not like we had in the past. Like what really dominated the headlines for natural disaster losses? It's important that you know that we recorded this episode at the end of December 2023. Since then, natural catastrophes have continued to happen across the globe, including a magnitude 7.5 earthquake that shocked Western Japan on New Year's Day. Read more about insured loss damage estimates as well as the rarity of such an event at the link in our show notes. Yeah, so going back to February, March, and the international scene was dominated by Turkey earthquakes, right? The devastating earthquakes that affected sure, uh, yeah. southern Turkey and northern Syria, uh, caused insurmountable damage in those areas. Um, buildings, cities were completely leveled. Uh, in Europe, mainland Europe, we had a number of winter storms starting uh, in November. Um, you know, oh, we wow. had uh, Babette and Kieran, uh, two pretty nasty winter storms. Babette was a very wet storm, a lot of flooding in northern UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kieran was uh, an incredibly strong wind event. Uh, actually set some meteorological records uh, on its way through sort of southern UK and then that sort of northern or northwestern France and then into um, up the channel. Yeah. Fortunately, uh, that storm missed, the, the strongest winds missed the major population centers. So okay. what, what could have been a record windstorm loss in the UK and Europe ended up being a 
close miss, which that's a great thing. Yeah, Um, for sure. So on the international scene, those are probably the the biggest stories. It's not that we didn't have, you know, hurricanes this year. We just were really fortunate. It's a game of probability. We actually had a pretty active hurricane season. Actually, one of the, you know, in terms of named storms, it was the fourth highest number of named storms in a year. Wow. Uh, We had, you know, seven hurricanes, three major hurricanes. We were lucky that one of them, only one, made landfall in the U.S. We're looking, talking about the Atlantic, uh, and that was Adalia, made mm-hmm. landfall as a Cat 3. Um, so in that sense, uh, we actually got pretty lucky with the hurricane season. Um, hopefully that holds up for 2024. Yeah, I guess it, time will tell. Before John and May Claire continue the conversation about natural catastrophes, it's that time again. Grab a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We're going to do the numbers in the housing market. Here's what you need to know. As dynamics shift within the housing market, the rate of serious mortgage delinquency in the U.S. fell to the lowest level since 1999. FHA loans exhibited a higher serious delinquency rate than their conventional counterparts. However, not everyone is benefiting identically from current market dynamics. Choosing lease renewals or seeking more affordable alternatives amidst the evolving market landscape where rent continues to compete with inflated living costs. Rental prices themselves are holding relatively steady though. In November 2023, U.S. single family rent growth maintained a consistent 2.7% year over year increase. Rent for attached properties outpaced detached single family rental costs growing by 3.3% and 2.3% respectively. San Diego led in rent gains, while Austin and Miami experienced annual declines. Lower price rentals continued appreciating, reflecting a market where cost sensitivity is becoming increasingly prevalent. And that's The Sip. See you next time. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what you just said about hurricane season last year, because um, you were here kind of maybe near the end of hurricane season last mm-hmm. year we talked and we specifically talked about el nino and how this was this new el nino year and how things were happening and how it was going to change the hurricane season so can we talk about how what we saw like i remember at the beginning of hurricane season we were seeing that it was like mm-hmm more than a hundred degree temperatures in the off the coast of Florida. And like, that's just mm-hmm. insane. So we had these record yeah. high sea surface temperatures, really good conditions for hurricanes to form. And we did get hurricanes, just nothing that was major landfalling. Um, how did El Nino play a role in that? And the second part of that, I guess, would be, is El Nino still here? And do we think it's going to do something for 2024? Yeah, so there was... 2023 was a royal rumble between a royal sea surface rumble tem- a royal rumble between sea surface temperatures and El Nino okay. uh, in, the, in, in the Atlantic in the North Atlantic uh, Ocean. So uh, we moved from a couple years of La Nina conditions to El mm-hmm. Nino, and one of the sort of global teleconnections associated with El Nino is it can hamp or it can sort of fight hurricane development in the North Atlantic. Okay. Um, so you sort of have these wind conditions trying to make it more difficult for hurricanes to form and intensify. On the other hand, as you said, we had record warm sea surface temperatures in the Atlantic and in the Gulf of Mexico and in the Caribbean. And hurricanes need uh, warm sea surface temperatures and ocean heat content to form, to strengthen, rapidly intensify. Mm-hmm. So like I said, we had this battle of these two phenomenon. And throughout the entire season, the conversation was which one's going to win. And in the end, it does kind of look like sea surface temperatures won out. It was pretty hot and it was a pretty active season. Um, 
it just came down to probability that one didn't happen to hit the uh, hit the coastline, mm-hmm. um, which is not to say that uh, the you know effects of El Nino weren't observed. There were a number of hurricanes that were trying to strengthen, but were cut off because of, uh, you know, we get a lot more extra wind shear from El Nino sure. and that kind of keeps hurricanes from forming. So like I said, in that Royal Rumble, I would say I would give round one to sea surface temperatures. Okay. Um, and as we move forward into 2024, uh, I'm imagining that the same conversation is going to take place. We're, there's no reason to suspect that sea surface temperatures won't be as warm or warmer as, mm-hmm. the, you know, the earth warms up, the sea, the mm-hmm. ocean temperatures are warming up. Yeah. And uh, from what I've seen, they don't expect El Nino to go away anytime soon. So Interesting. Uh, 2024 could be a repeat of 2023 in the sense that all these two phenomena battling each other, hopefully, again, we don't have any major hurricane landfalls in a huge population center, um, or we'll be dealing with another Ian-like event in 2024. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, only time will tell. It's it's going to be really interesting to see because with this Royal Rumble, we'll just have to wait and see what 2024 ends up looking like. Uh, I guess the other thing, too, when we look back at 2023, wildfire wasn't specifically in California. It didn't seem to be major headlining like it has been in past years. Um, Obviously, there was Mm -hmm. some very devastating fires in Canada as well as in Hawaii. So what can we say about the 2023 wildfire season? Yeah, the 2023 wildfire season was actually, again, in in continental United States, in California, the Pacific Northwest, was actually Mm -hmm. pretty mild. Um, We'll set Lahaina and Maui aside. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that later. But in California, it ended up being a pretty mild year, uh, a pretty late start, fairly early end. The wildfire season is never really over, I guess. It's yeah. kind of a year of long peril. But um, we can really chalk that up to all that precipitation we had right. uh, going back to the winter. If you remember the atmospheric rivers, right, that were dumping on California, yeah. you would know you were there in California. <laughs> yeah, I remember you were there it for rained like crazy. But, it rained. It rained like crazy. Yeah. It rained for months on end. So that's really good for wildfire suppression, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot more soil moisture and plant moisture. Um, it continued to rain throughout the year. So that helped fire suppression efforts when there were fires. So in the end, 2023 was not particularly bad. If you look at the number of fires mm-hmm. or acres burned, it was actually about the same as 2022, yeah. way, way down than what had been occurring the previous five years where we've been in drought conditions across the West Uh, year in and year out, right? That's why those wildfire seasons were so bad. So the trade-off there is unfortunately, if it's going to rain a lot, plants like rain and they're going to grow. So what is, I'm not going to say expected, but what people are concerned about is that with all that rainfall, we'll have a lot more plant growth. And once it does start to dry out, assuming, you know, as I said, we'll cycle between really rainy years and really dry years. Once we get back into those drier years or drier time of the years, well, then there's a lot more fuel on the ground for yeah. fires to burn. So that is kind of the concern. While all the atmospheric rivers and all the rainfall we had this year were great for suppressing wildfires, it could be building up the fuel load for sure. future yeah. years. Um, so California, you know, in the, the Southwest in general, you know, could be in trouble a couple of years down the road if it start, when it starts to dry out. 
Yeah. And uh, I mean, we've we've all seen the cycle here in California with the excessive droughts, which have led to extreme wildfires. And now that is exactly what we're hearing is with this all this rain, we're getting all this new fuel growth. So uh, if we we touched on it just briefly, but if we kind of jump over to Hawaii and what happened in Lahaina, can you talk a little bit about that devastating fire that happened last year? Yes. Like Lahaina, the wildfires in Lahaina were truly tragic. One of the most devastating deadly wildfires in U.S. Yeah. history, maybe world history. Um, there was a collection of number of factors that made that wildfire, that incident so bad. So while it was somewhat dry, it wasn't persistent drought conditions, but a lot of these grasslands that surround Lahaina kind of um, to the northeast as you go towards the mountains, these uh, grassy areas, they can dry out a lot quicker than mm-hmm. trees and large plants. So they dried out in just moderate or even light dry conditions. Yeah. And we had a lot of wind. So Hurricane Dora was in mm-hmm. the Pacific Ocean several hundred miles southwest of Hawaii. But that low pressure center in the center of a hurricane uh, was one half of a gradient. To the northeast of the islands, we had a high pressure center. When you have a high and low pressure center, you get winds moving from high to low. Okay. So that was blowing from the northeast down the slopes of the mountains in Maui towards Lahaina. And all you needed was a spark. So Mm. once there was a spark, those grasses could catch on fire. The winds were pushing flames and embers towards Lahaina. And then once the flames and embers got to the city, uh, the wildfire could start spreading incredibly rapidly through the town. Um, A lot of the common building construction practices that we could observe uh, a lot of you know wood frame construction or siding, a lot of porches with lattices and uh, open space beneath them, a lot of uh, built-in ventilation systems because it's typically very warm and humid there. Sure, these are yeah. really great for trapping embers. So that could probably that was probably one of the reasons why it helped spread so quickly. And then the buildings themselves became the fuel for the fire. Uh, sure. They were really hot. Buildings were built really close to each other. Flames could jump from house to house. And that's why I was able to spread so rapidly through the town and why people had very little time or warning uh, to evacuate and what made it such a a devastating event. Yeah, just devastating. And really Mm. one of the one of the top devastating hazard moments of the year. Definitely. Absolutely. So if we take a look back at some of those big losses of the year, you know, you mentioned the Turkey earthquake. We talked a little bit about Hurricane Adalia. We've got the the Lahaina fire. When we look at all of these events, like what can we learn from these events? I don't just want to just talk about how bad they were. What can we learn Mm -hmm. from events like this? Yeah, I think one of the lessons we can take away from the events we saw this year, it's actually something we learned a little bit during Hurricane Ian back in 2022. Hmm. And that's the effectiveness of building codes when it comes to mitigation. Ah, so okay. we are, not just we in the US, across the globe in areas that are prone to particular disasters, make a lot of effort to strengthen building codes, um, whether that be for ground shaking for earthquakes or wind design speeds for hurricanes. Um, so these building codes are well-studied and um, implemented. One of the issues has to come down to enforcement. So if building code enforcement isn't uh, widespread, then you'll have entire buildings collapsing. Like this, what we saw during Turkey. Um, Some of the issues had to do with the building uh, code enforcement or some building practices um, that weren't necessarily up to code. That's why you had such widespread devastation. Yeah. 
Um, the other thing we learned, uh, this has to go back. I mentioned earlier in the podcast a concept called rapid intensification. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, a phenomenon if a hurricane strengthens uh, 35 miles per hour, where max the same wind speeds increase by 35 miles per hour in a 24-hour period. It's called rapid intensification. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that a number of times in this year, in 2023, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, which is nothing new. Rapid intensification is yeah. it's not a new term. It's been around. But uh, the speed of which some of the hurricanes this year rapidly intensified way more than just 35 hurricane otis in acapulco mexico Mm -hmm. Uh, that was explosive explosive (laughs) rapid intensification incredible to the point where it wasn't captured in the forecast models and caught a lot of it caught everyone off guard there in acapulco um emergency management you know uh any personnel people on the ground caught off guard so uh, i know there's a lot of research going into being better at modeling rapid intensification just for emergency preparedness. But we also, uh, you know, into our models we developed here, CoreLogic, it's a concept that we'll need to, uh, that we'll have to study and implement better because it's becoming, mm-hmm. it seems to be becoming a much more common occurrence. Sure. Yeah. I think the one thing that we know about natural catastrophes is there's a lot we don't know. And we've learned so much from every event that does happen. And from, you know, our perspective is we build those new findings into our models and into our data so that we can mm-hmm. capture them better to, you know, better represent them. Before we end this episode, let's take a break and talk about what's currently happening in the world of natural disasters. CoreLogic's Hazard HQ Command Central reports on natural catastrophes and extreme weather events across the world. A link to their coverage is in the show notes. 2024 began with a shallow magnitude 7.5 earthquake hitting western Japan on January 1st. CoreLogic estimates that insured losses in Japan due to damage from ground shaking, fires following, tsunamis, and liquefaction could be between $1 and $5 billion. Initial Japanese reports indicate material damage in the smaller towns and cities nearby the Noto Peninsula, such as Wajima and Suzu. The mayor of Suzu said that over 90% of the 5,000 homes in the city may have been damaged or destroyed. However, the earthquake spared major economic centers like Tokyo, reducing the loss potential from this event. Then, on January 8th, multiple tornadoes formed along the Florida Panhandle, causing significant damage and disruption to homes and businesses. CoreLogic Hazard HQ Command Central estimated that 26,617 single and multifamily homes were potentially impacted by tornadic winds in Florida, southeastern Alabama, and southwestern Georgia. Then, in mid-January, an Arctic blast swept across the U.S., setting record low temperatures. So... I guess as we as we go through 2024, our listeners who listen often, they'll know that you will be back again. We we do bring you back whenever anything bad does happen. Um, mm. It doesn't mean you are you're a bad news guy, but we uh, we do appreciate you keeping track of all of the disasters that are happening around the world. And uh, what can people expect to hear from you this year, John? And how, where can they where can they find things out? Well, uh, I always invite people to go to our website, hazardhq.com. That's where we keep up to date on all natural disaster activity across the globe. It's where we'll provide our event summaries. And if there's any losses or data we can provide from CoreLogic's treasure trove of data, that's where it'll be. Like you said, I'll be back on anytime there's a big, uh, a big earthquake or a big hurricane, I'll be back to talk about it on the podcast. Well, we look forward to having you back, John. Thank you so much for joining me today on Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. All right. And thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. 
Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Jesse Devenins, editor and sound engineer Romeo Roman, our facts guru Erica Stanley, and social media duo Sarah Buck and Michaela Brooks. Tune in next time for another core conversation. You still there? Well, thanks for sticking around. Are you curious to know a little bit more about our guest today? Well, John Schneier is the Director of Catastrophe Response here at CoreLogic. John aims to keep CoreLogic clients informed of weather risks by monitoring potential events, determining the scope of the response, coordinating with internal stakeholders, and providing up-to-date content. You can read more of his event response coverage on hazardhq.com. The link is in the show notes.